Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Ariella Lair. Uh, she is a PhD and she is the CEO of Legacy Games. Uh, she's achieved numerous firsts in her 30 year career, Emergency Room, which was uh, she was the executive producer of, um, and it was the first medical simulation to target consumers. The, that game, plus many numerous sequels, sold more than a million units at retail. Subsequently, Legacy Games established the TV drama genre in video games with four Law & Order adventure games. They followed up the success to create more than 25 licensed games and apps, including ER, Criminal Minds, Murder, She Wrote, Ghost Whisperer, Sherlock Holmes, Twilight Zone, Tarzan, Psych, uh, Corolla, amongst others. Currently, Legacy Games is one of the largest publishers of casual games at retail with 14 different boxes um, on the shelves of the retail partners. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Ariella. Hello. Thank Hello. You nice, nice to see you. It's good to see you again. It's, it's yeah. been a minute. That's awesome. And yeah. made May the fourth be with you. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. You too. <laughs> Love it. So, um, you have an amazing history and background um, in in the in the areas of gaming and education and medical and 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 all of that. And you you have quite quite the background in the space. Um, I'd love to learn just a little bit about your journey. Um, what 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 got you from from being a PhD? To, to going into the, the gaming space and, and, the, and the journey you've been on? Well, it's uh, almost 35 years. So it is a long journey, so, you know, trying to uh, summarize all of that. Um, I went to graduate school at Claremont Graduate University, studied cognitive psychology. Uh, that's memory, attention, perception, comprehension, intelligence, that those kinds of subjects. Mm -hmm. um, my uh, doctoral dissertation was on how children process information differently depending on the medium. So I was very interested in looking at their memory and comprehension on audio only, uh, video and text. And of course, interactive at that point was just coming into its own. So the Commodore 64, the Apple IIe. So that became part of my study and um, just fell in love with personal computers. So as a result of that, when I graduated, I didn't want to be an academic and do academic research. So I ended up working for Jerry Brown. So this was after Jerry Brown was governor the first time in California. And he was a space cadet, but such a forward thinking, innovative guy. He started two educational foundations to look at education and technology. This was in the 80s, you know, so he was really way ahead of everybody else. And I worked with him in these foundations did that for a while and then got the bug like every consultant does and decided I wanted to make games for kids. So we made our, <laughs> and then our very first product out of the gate was a huge success, which then 
you know, gave me the bug for the rest of my life. It was called Children's Writing and Publishing Center. It was published by The Learning Company. So I went on to produce a whole series of children's educational products, which were really big by then. And then that market imploded in the, that was uh, early 90s, just, I don't know. So then I morphed into women's games and that's where I've been since then, mid nineties. Got it. So with women's games, is it more like casual mobile games or what is that when you say women's games, what do you, what is the, what is the area that's purely entertainment or is there? Well, it's interesting back then, uh, you know, people didn't believe that women played games, right? It was a really tough sell when I would go into Walmart and say, here's a game. It's, based on the TV show, Law and Order. Women love that TV show. Women love mysteries. Women love detective shows. They're gonna buy this game, please take this game. <laughs> and then trying to get Walmart to pick it up to put it on the shelf was whew, a tough one. But uh, we learned, even my first, you had mentioned Emergency Room. That was one of our first, uh, I would say, women-oriented games because women like simulations. They like these kinds of thoughtful games with real content. And it was really the first medical simulation that was designed for the average person. And um, I noticed how many of our customers were women. It's like, whoa, look at this. And after we did a lot of those games, then we had, then <laughs> I sat next to Dick Wolf at some um, nonprofit dinner, and I said, Mr. Wolf, we need to do a game based on law and order. You know, of course, back then, this was that came out. I'm um, trying to think when that came out, probably early 2000s, the first one. And Universal didn't even have an interactive, you know, person to talk to. I had to talk to the t shirt guy, <laughs> you know, to try to do a deal for software. <laughs> So we made four Law & Order games and they sold really well. And it was clear they were selling to women. Story-based, mystery, you know, strong characters, uh, an adventure sort of um, puzzle game. And, and then after that, you know, just everything was sort of focused along those lines, but with different TV licenses. So I did that for a long time. And what we're doing now is slightly different, but still focused on women. That's super cool. With, um, with that, one of the things curious is, you know, why do you think women like those types of narratives, uh, strong characters, mysteries? Is it, what, what about that is it appealing to women specifically um, versus other types of games? So we'll say first person shooters or whatever the things might be. Is what's it, what is the what is the appeal there that they're what are they diving digging into in some sort of psychology sense? Well, I I don't think I can be particularly deep on it, but if you look at uh, just for example Kindle books and what women women are very big readers, right? More so, especially in terms of fiction, than men are. And if you look at the detective mystery romance genres, I mean, they're dominated by female readers. And so, you know, I think the storytelling and the mystery part is really key. What we're seeing now, which is very interesting in terms of our Walmart sales, murder mystery, true crime, you know, that kind of stuff is really hot. 
Yeah. And, um, and that's women of all ages. Um, so I think it's the storytelling, the, the emotional investment in the character, mm. um, you know, getting swept up in the story. So, you know, you'll talk about VR and, and being in another world, you know, and that's sort of what a really good book can do, um, at least for me. And I think that kind of storytelling integrated with some puzzle, well-known puzzle mechanics like hidden object games is still very appealing to women. The, the games are becoming more sophisticated over time. You know, it, it's not just hidden object. If you look at what's happening in mobile games, you might have those, you know, it's match 3D or hidden object or that type of puzzle mechanic, but then you have a different then you're earning currency so that you can go back into the game and now decorate mm. or build or you know there's a, a different core loop now with games got it okay so yeah you're doing some sort of task that will get you to be able to gather points to be, have you be more expressive in some way either world exactly. building or creation or something so it, it empowers them to do the things that they want to do which is a more of an expressive you know creative um, so that's, that's interesting. That's really cool. When you create, uh, when you have like an, uh, an idea for a game, let's just say, whether it's a TV title or anything else, you're like, Hmm, I think this would work. I think, uh, women would like it or a specific subsect of the people would do it. What is your process for validating that idea? Do you just, do you just go and build it and get it out the door and say, I know, or what is it, what does it really look like for you to, to, um, tell if your idea has legs? Well, there are two answers to that. One is legacy games. If you go to legacygames.com, we are reselling other people's games and in particular, a lot of indie game developers. So it's pretty exciting to me if they have a casual game that we think will speak to our Walmart audience. We sell about 3000 units every week at Walmart. So we know this customer really, really well. And if we see a game on Steam, for example, that seems lost, you know, it's a small game, but it gets great reviews. It may have won awards, but nobody, you know, the, that casual customer isn't going to Steam and isn't finding that game. So we'll pluck that game. We'll put it on legacy games and then we sell it and we see, does it sell on our digital platform? If it does, then at Walmart, we'll bundle it together with a few other similar games and then sell it on the shelf. So there's a, we test it out first digitally before it gets into a box. Uh, in terms of, we have a brand new mobile game coming out in about two months and that has gotten so sophisticated, Dylan. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll test the, we'll test the game. We'll probably use the Google beta testing service and we'll have hundreds of people. We will collect all kinds of data. You know, it's very important retention data. It's, you know, all the data that we need to, to have. And then we'll look and see if we want to go bigger with this game or if we want to drop it. You know, so once you have that core loop developed, you expose it to your customers. You see what the issues are. You try to fix those issues. If you can't fix them, you know, you just drop it. It's not worth it. You know, you can't you can't pay for user acquisition 
if the lifetime value of the customer isn't there, you're just throwing money down a deep hole. So it's mostly based on testing. You, you have to have enough confidence in your idea to at least get it to the point where you can test it. Yeah. What do you think? And one of the things it, it shows that you're a professional space because you don't have an identity attachment to the products. You're just like, I'm going to put this out there. I've made enough of these to where, I, no, let's just let go of it. And so uh, I, have, I have a follow-up question to that. But before I get into that part of it, um, what do you think are the most important metrics uh, that early people could make? They're doing prototype testing. They're putting it out there. What do you think are the, the main core metrics that you're looking at to say, oh, this is clearly hot or this thing is, has, has power behind it? Well, as I said, I think retention is number one. And there are very specific retention you know, metrics you need to reach uh, in order to be appealing to a distributor. That's the very first thing they ask you. you know, what are your retention metrics? you know, at day one, day seven, day 30. Um, but beyond that, so if you have the right retention, you can use, you can many times fix the monetization, which is of course another key metric. Are you making any money? Because you know, maybe the player is sticking around and you got good retention, but you're not generating any money and that won't work either. Yeah. That's a lot easier to fix. Um, so you can, put in multiple, okay, now the store was only in this section of the game. Now we're going to put it in five other sections and all of a sudden your, you know, monetization goes up or you can add another level of currency or, but if you don't have a game that is sticky, that is really hard to fix that's not after the fact. That's an, that's an amazing point. You're right. Because if, if they don't, if there's no one in there to play it because nobody wants to play it, it's very hard to sell to them. Versus if they're in there and they're hanging out all day long, there's an opportunity to sell to them because they're already there. So you've just fixed those pieces. So make sure you make sure they want to be there and then give them more of what they want. Just got to pay for it. That's powerful. Yeah. Has there been a time in your past where you uh, ignored these metrics or where you've been burnt? Has there been how how did you how did you learn that lesson? Was there is there any stories of your past? where you you didn't listen to that you pushed through in your gut and it was painful or what what caused you to to be so matter of fact about this yes yes there was one very i mean look <laughs> i've made tons of mistakes as anyone who's been doing making as many products as i have uh will tell you but i would say the one that almost sank the company um, so we had this big success with this emergency room game. We were really fortunate we came out with that game in, on the same in the same month as the ER TV show. Remember that great yeah. TV show? I mean, that was in the good old days of television, 25 million viewers on a Thursday night watching ER. And our emergency room game came out the same month. And we had gotten the trademark for emergency room. So Warner Brothers came after us and it's like, hey, sorry, we have the trademark for emergency room. So that's what we call ourselves. So anyway, uh, I think that really helped. You know, it just completely fortuitous sure. uh, timing. And so one, so after we sold this type of game for a couple of years, I thought, you know, why don't I get the ER license? And uh, this was the same time that we had the Law and Order license. And it's like, hey, nobody was bringing these TV dramas into games. We were the first company to do that. 
So I'm like, that's a good idea, right? That sounds like a really good idea. So I way overpaid for the license because it was Warner Brothers and that's yeah. what you did. And then I assembled this team of 40 people. I had, you know, which was a huge team, you know, back then to do, we were, and then I raised a million dollars and I thought that sounds like a huge amount of money. And uh, then I were going to do a Sim-like project. I don't know if the Sims had actually come out yet or not at that time. Maybe they had just launched or something. Yeah, yeah with a million dollars, you know, I'm going to do a Sim product <laughs> with the ER license, which was a little bananas. And uh, of course, that did not have a happy ending, <laughs> that, that particular product. The calibration, it's hard to calibrate on, on numbers that you're not used to in that size. Because I'm looking at I'm like a 40-person team of developers and artists and everything. I'm like, I mean, what's your burn on that? I'm like, that's a pain. That's a pain. That's two months. Yeah, I know. I was like, I was like, I was like, wow, am I 40? A million? I mean, even in counting inflation, I was like, that's going to that's gonna be a bit. But I, I appreciate the, the eyes, though. So, so then you saw that, and then... So then you recognize that it wasn't going to pan. You didn't have the, the, the it, was, it was a resource gap that you had to really get to where you wanted to go. And at that point you, you couldn't raise anymore and things like that. So then you, you had to like, let it go and then kind of ref, use it as a powerful million dollar lesson. Yeah, it wasn't uh, actually, there weren't 40 people on the project. There were 40 people in the company, however, oh, okay, yeah. at that time we were working on some other things too. And the million dollars was just for ER, but it clearly, and, and we finished the product and got it out there, mm -hmm. but you know, it just clearly wasn't enough, you know, to do it well. And I, I learned a really very, very tough lesson. And so after that, you know, I, because I've always been an entrepreneur and it's been my own company and it's my own money mm -hmm. that I'm risking, yeah. And so as a result of that, I pulled back and we got other kinds of licenses, but not necessarily the number one show on television. Um, interestingly enough, one of the most successful games I've ever done is Murder, She Wrote. We oh, did a series really? of games based on that TV show. And that's such a hoot. <laughs> when I was When I was negotiating for another NBC Universal license, and the guy there, the not the t-shirt guy, but the later guy who just is a wonderful man and knows his business cold. And he said, Ariella, I'll give you that license, but you have to take Murder, She Wrote. And I said, I don't want Murder, She Wrote. That's old, what do you, he goes, Ariella, it's a really good match for your customers. And it has a you know, devoted fan base and you gotta do it. So I took Murder, Murder She Wrote, and it, he was right. People love that, that brand. And so anyway, you can't always tell, but it's, and not all the top licenses are necessarily the ones that are going to work the best. That's a powerful lesson that even though your gut's telling you, like, I don't want Murder She Wrote, like, and then, and then but someone else had the insight and they, and they had a different perspective. So then that, did that kind of give you, um a new lesson perspective on not always trusting your gut instinct on taking taking titles and things like that is that gave you yes i think if you don't learn humility real quick in this business you're in trouble on i i mean that sincerely i um 
I, I do feel I'm on really good ground as it relates to our customers because I have been selling to these women. This is middle America, you know, 40 plus. They like to play games for relaxation, for distraction from their troubles. You know, a little bit of challenge, but not too much. Get me engaged in another world so I can forget, you know, where I am. And I feel like I know these customers really well, but beyond that, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> you know, learning all the time. But you've been servicing them again and again and again that you, 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 you formed this, this mental model relationship with them that you can, you can mm-hmm. understand how they'll respond. Right. What do you, what do you think in terms of, you talked on this, uh, humility is one uh, characteristic that's a powerful, powerful thing to learn as you go through this. What are some other just top of mind mindsets or skill sets that people need if they're going to go into the space of whether they're building games or entertainment games or education games and, and going into this space? Uh, the, are there other key uh, mindsets or skill sets that that uh, if you could wave a magic wand and just dub to somebody else, um, are there ones that come top to mind that you think would be the most valuable to them? Oh gosh, I would, you know, it's funny. I was just looking at a list of those very same, those, that very question. I should just go read the list because it was a great one. Uh, you know, actually I'm tempted to do that. Um, I saved it. I thought, hmm, that's a good list. What, yeah, what's stuck without that list? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, seriously, look at this. I'm going to, I'm not making this up. I have to show it to you. Um, I would say that and I, and this is just to be true to myself, Dylan. I mean, I cannot prevaricate very well. I mean, I can try and on occasion I have, but the reality is that uh, I like to deal with people honestly. You know, you and I have had some mm-hmm. dealings and um, I try to be respectful to people, but I'm, I'm also, I, I tell them what I'm thinking. And I feel like as a leader, and that was one of the things on the li- on the list, lead, don't manage. But as a leader in my organization, I try to be really transparent. You know, people, especially young people, they need to be motivated, but to be motivated, they need to understand what's going on and why you ask them to do a certain thing. You know, what's that overall objective? Maybe you have a better idea of how to get there, but this is my idea of how to get to this goal that we're all striving for. Mm. And um, and even transparent to the point of, you know, sharing financials and all kinds of stuff. You know, it's really, how do I expect you to know what to do and make good decisions on the ground when I'm not there, you know, unless you have the full picture? So, and there, and tools like Slack, I think, and even the way we use Google Docs is really makes it easier to share information than in the old days. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone's on a channel and they're seeing the same thing that you're posting there. So, so I don't know. I think transparency, honest, honesty, respect, this is, you know, for parents, you know, as well as your employees, right? You respect them as people, as individuals, and they respect you back and you demand that, you know, that's like a basic currency here between us. Yeah. Um, 
there is a parent-child relationship with leaders and their and and the people that they lead um, through the process, where you 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 can be their friends, but at the same time you are a caretaker. You are providing for them. You are supplying them, but at the same time you you have to all like work together. So I could definitely see that as a as a pattern. Do you have? Because um, you talk about lead, don't manage. Do you have any rituals around that? Are there any daily or weekly things that you do to demonstrate leadership to them? Um, is there? You talked about showing financials, being brutally honest or um, transparent to the point where they can understand it. You talked about um, inspiring but not demanding. So here's why we need to because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, are there? ritual behaviors that you do as a leader to cre to create the respect the honesty the transparency to lead anything that's top of mind you know again this is uh, you know after four children eight grandchildren all these children in my life uh i would say the best thing you can do is set a mod is be a model you know, there's just, there are no words. You can speak, 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 but it's all about how you actually behave, what you do. Mm. Um, it was funny, many years ago, I converted to Judaism and one of the, in order to marry my husband of, you know, 45 years. And one of the uh, things that I really admired about Judaism was that it's not about your, um, Judaism doesn't try to figure out what you're thinking you know, it's all about your actions. And there's 617 laws if you're an Orthodox Jew that you're supposed to follow. Wow. And if you do all of those, you're a really good Jew. Well, of course, I don't, I'm not an Orthodox Jew, so that doesn't mean much to me. But it, it's the idea that it's behavior. And that's mm. because how can you assume what somebody's really thinking or feeling? You know, you can only tell it by their outward expression. And so I believe that. And I would say it, I don't have any rituals or traditions other than trying to uh, exemplify the behavior that I'm looking for in my employees. So if I, I don't expect them to respond to an email at, you know, in today's world with COVID, right? We're working all the time, everyone is but I want them to take the evenings off and the weekends off most of the time, you know? I, so I don't bother them, you know? I try to be respectful of their time. And if I don't wanna work those hours, then I don't, you know, impinge on them. So it's, you know, that's an example of the kind of approach that I have. I love mentoring young people. I mean, that is truly, I mean, looking at an arc of a career yeah. that is truly one of the things it it pleases me no end to see people who have worked for me you know rise up in big companies like microsoft and other places and to say hmm, you know they learned it they learned some something at legacy and it and they went on from there so anyway oh that's beautiful so then it's it almost you're almost like a, a secondary proud parent and you can see them grow and rise and level up through everything. Oh, that's that's incredible. Very satisfying. Is is there anything like do you I mean be outside of the legacy games, do you do other mentoring or advising? Do you teach other places? Um you're telling me your 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 last name means teacher. 
So I was wondering if there's any other places that you teach or you mentor people. I have over the years taught. Uh, I taught a class at UCLA once, Educational Technology. I've taught at the in the Cal State system also. But teaching really takes a lot of time to do it well, you know, and I, I just didn't have that time. Um, my volunteer work is mostly focused on foster kids. It's interesting. I, I've sat on a bunch of boards, but, you know, we all, you have to know yourself. And my, I think I am uh, much more talented and inspired by working one-on-one -on -one with children as opposed to sitting on the board and making, you know, more corporate decisions. Uh, I can do either, but I really prefer the one-to-one. -one. And so I work with a foster care organization called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocate. And um, I have two kids at the moment and it's just, that's inspiring. And oh my God, do I learn from these kids? You know, I just, uh, I can go into detail if you want, but uh, that's a that's something that's meaningful. Let's dive in, no, let's dive into that. You're learning two way two way communications going on. They're 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 they're, they're keeping you hip on these things, keeping that sword sharp of yours. What do you like? Let's talk about this because again, this is mentorship. You're you're giving mm -hmm. advice and guidance and going back and forth of that, and you're seeing the power in this one on one communications versus like you know sitting on top of a risk board and moving around pieces. You're actually in the trenches, going back and forth. So. What are some what are some 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 lessons and things that you've gotten from working with these uh, these Casa children? Well, it's interesting. The uh, most recent mess. I, I mean, literally, I have it on my desk here. You just have to see this. Okay, I don't know if you can see. Yeah, there you go. Painting. Do you know what a diamond painting is, Dylan? Yeah, so you're about to learn something too. Yeah, here. <laughs> so the sixteen-year-old, she's. Um, African-American, lives in the hood in LA. And uh, I, can't, I can't say too much about the specifics, but um, she told me it was her 16th birthday. And of course, these kids have nobody, right? So I wanna, ooh, let's celebrate your 16th birthday. So she picks out this thing on Amazon called a diamond painting. Well, I'm looking at it. I can't quite figure out what it is. Okay, fine. That's what you want. I order it. I I actually ended up ordering two. So one I gave her last week, and this is the other one. It turns out what a diamond painting is, because I made her unwrap it in front of me and show me. Mm -hmm. It is a 3D paint-by-number set. So it basically you have one piece of cloth. You put on top of that mm -hmm. cloth a sticky paper with uh, numbers in it. And then you have a whole color palette and a thousand pearls. And then you have something like a hypodermic needle and you stick the pearls in the needle and you match the per color pearl to the spot on the picture. And it made this, and it makes this amazing picture. It was actually anime. So oh, this cool. LA African-American 16 year old is in love with anime. And so that was the other thing I learned. She gave me the three top shows to watch on anime, which I mean, I obviously heard of it, but you know how big it is on Netflix? I mean, I've got so many series on Netflix. Anyway, so I, I was laughing at with her, mm -hmm. uh, 
last weekend and I said, look, you're teaching, what is it by your students you'll be taught? I think that was from the King and I musical. That was a, one of my favorite songs there. And I said, look at this, look what I'm learning from you. And she got so happy because, you know, I'm always like, blah, 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 lecture, 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 study more, do this, do that. <laughs> and she got very excited to say, hmm, yeah, I can teach you too. So anyway, it's, it, the, the, the only point out of all of that is it can be very, very rewarding. And it's much more rewarding for me than it is for her, I think. <laughs> that's beautiful and it's and it's a two-way street too and she probably feels good and she's more engaged and as you know the more engaged the student the more that they'll actually learn so that that two-way communication super duper important and uh i i'm a big fan of anime why by the way so that's a so i, I was like i'm like i'm like i wonder what the three animes were that she liked. No, you want to hear <laughs> yeah I would, I would love to know what they are i I got it. I, I started watching one and actually I got, I can't believe what good storytelling they are. Uh, anime is is Japan's Hollywood, right? So if you, so if you look at anime in Japan's Hollywood, that they have some of the most incredible storylines that will get you because there's, you know, it doesn't take anything to make an anime. So people are dumping it and the popular ones get picked up, you know? And so Violet Evergarden. So that's the first one I started watching and I got sucked in right away. This story of this young woman, and she was also also a um, uh, orphan. Mm -hmm. And then one is called Land of the Lustrous. So here you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing them down right now. Land of the Lustrous. And the third one is Ano Han A N O H A N A. So I don't know about that. H N A. Ano Hanna. Ohana. yeah okay i don't great i don't know any of those I, I might know all the boy ones that might be the thing i'm gonna go check those out because i'm super curious i love i love checking out enemies it's it is a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine it's one of ones you you find me wasting time late at night it's probably watching some sort of anime well and she is desperate to go to japan she absolutely can't wait to go to japan now who would have thought you know that it just wasn't in my consciousness so Anyway, it, it does. It's wonderful to get out of our shell, out of our communities, and and reach out and see what else is going on. That's beautiful. So, um, with Legacy Games and everything you're working on, you you were doing educational entertainment. You shifted into this um, more of the women casual gaming space area mm -hmm. um, is that where you're currently at right now? Is that the target that you're looking at? Are you going to continue? um to build in that area or what's what's um what's on the latest and greatest for you in legacy games well so uh a couple things in terms of legacy games so i was for the last three years uh president at hit point studios mm -hmm. and uh it was exciting because i wanted to get into ar and i had worked with paul hake at hit point on a couple of projects before i actually joined them and we worked with Niantic, we worked with Google, we did some really cool stuff, worked with a very large 3D dental imaging company, um, bunch of projects, bunch of toy companies. Um, I left Hitpoint, I had a three-year contract with them, mm. and I left Hitpoint in October, and they just announced this week that they've been purchased. 
So I'm very happy about, I made a small contribution to that process and, um, you know, had some interest in the company. So they have just purchased. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. So then I uh, came back to um, Legacy in October after having been away because frankly, all we were doing was selling CD-ROMs to Walmart and I had a couple part-time people and it didn't require much of my time. And um, so what we're doing now since I've come back to Legacy is move as quickly as we can to you know, onboard those Walmart customers to make them digital customers on legacygames.com. And uh, and it's been really fun. You know, I'm learning the ins and outs of Facebook marketing, you know, retargeting all these customers who come to us from Walmart and selling them new products uh, that they like, Mm -hmm. uh, but now doing it digitally. And uh, bringing on, also trying to expand the product selection, you know, because I think people are ready for a little bit more. So bringing on some more, you know, like merge puzzle games and things that maybe some of these customers haven't seen before, but that are, will still be really appealing to them. So it's been, uh, we've we've really had some good success. um, And that's what I'm trying to do this year. And we'll see how, easily I can convert those customers to digital. Um, is, that, meanwhile, is, go that ahead. is that motivated through the fact that COVID and uh, the big box isn't getting as much as much um, traction or is it, what was the motivation to, to go into the, on, onto the, uh, and shifting it away from the retail to the digital? Yeah. Uh, well, I would tell you that our sales were actually flat last year at retail, which is a good thing because we all know that physical products are going away, right? Physical games are going away. And that in fact is my motivation, you know, because look, if you're Hewlett Packard, you're not even making laptops with, you know, drives anymore, DVD drives. So um, there's a, you know, a, a small, but, you know, good market. I think we forget on the coast that our customers, many of them, they still have, you know, flip phones. They don't even have smartphones. They don't have good internet access. You know, there are reasons, and maybe they're collectors too, but there are reasons why they buy, you know, this is an example of a popular game that we sell at Walmart, so-called murder mystery. Yeah, yeah. The reason why they buy this stuff. So um, that's why I'm really hoping that, at least some of this infrastructure bill gets passed, right? So we can get good, good internet access for people and they can really download uh, these products. So that's my motivation. And also, you know, I'm at the stage where I don't want to devote, a whole, I, don't have a, I don't have another lifetime to devote to making legacy a success, you know? So I want to, I want to see how quickly we can do this. That's beautiful. Um, The other thing that I'm working on, because I still am fascinated with AR, Mm. is a very interesting project, which I haven't talked about before, but if you want to know about it, Dylan, I'll tell you. I want want to know about it. It's an interesting AR project. You you have my interest. It sounds cool. Well, when, uh, so when we were at Hitpoint, we did a couple of 
uh, tours, like one was for a city in Massachusetts where you're able to, with your smartphone, obviously your smartphone knows where you are and using GPS, you can navigate using your smartphone from one point of interest to another. Now there are plenty of, of um, apps out there like that. Um, and they can be very useful. I remember we went to the city of Savannah and they have a, there's a beautiful app you can download that will literally take you, you know, within four square blocks and take you to every uh, statue or, you know, house where somebody famous lived and give you all the information you need. So I was thinking about that and I was talking to someone I know who is an urban planner and they were explaining to me that one of their biggest problems is that as if you're a municipality and you want to add a bike lane or you want to you know put in some trees or a park bench or in today's world you have to have community input for just about everything you are obligated because of the funding source not even if it's the federal government or a foundation they want you to have to go through a planning process whereby you have a community meeting and you have people come and mostly complain, right? And, you know, bitch and moan. I don't want that. That's a change. We don't like that. You know, and so this is a process that every urban planner is very familiar with and hates. Mm. And so our idea, and we've been working on this since January. No, actually, since before that. I must be November, I guess. Um, an app we call Pebble XR, so you can, we have a website and a video of how it works. And essentially what it is, there's a desktop version where the urban planner can create a tour. So you can decide at this street corner, that's the start of the tour. The first stop is going to be, you know, a hundred feet away. And at that point, the user is going to be asked a question, would you rather see the deciduous tree or the uh, fir tree here? And then you have a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So it's a, a platform mm -hmm. for designing these tours and gathering consumer input. Uh, and then it generates an app that then the community can use and, you know, so right from their mobile phone, they're actually taking the tour and they're giving input. And meanwhile, all these 3D assets are being visualized, you know, through your phone. Oh, you want a bike lane? Okay, look down there on the road. Okay, you see the bike lane? Or would you rather have it on this side of the street? And then you're swiping this side or that side? Okay, I'd rather have this side. And you're voting and tabulating those votes. So this particular group has, we've already done a demo for the city of West Hollywood and one for Long Beach. And uh, it's going pretty well. So that's another project I'm working on. That's a great project. And with augmented reality, for me, I, like what I've seen is I've only seen real, cause like a lot of things are gimmicks. Most things are gimmicks in a lot of areas and things like that. For, and each each technology has different, has different actual value adds, right? Um, uh, for VR, things that are rare, difficult, dangerous, or edge cases, it's a, it's a value add kind of thing. Um, for augmented reality, there's only a couple of value adds to the system other than, oh, isn't that cool? Um, one is is a data overlay on an environmental. So you put your you put the augmented thing over a pipe, and you can see which way the water's flowing. You get additional data about that item. 
Um, another one is is remote expert assistance. So I'm showing you this thing. What wire do I cut? Cut the red wire. I um, mean, the third one is remote collaboration. Um, and so that you can have a bunch of people all looking at the same object talking about what that thing is. And so what I like about that is you've taken several of these different pieces and you've combined them together, these actual value add stacks in a, in a real specific use case where you're having remote collaboration, an actual expert being able to actually see the data and see what's going on with it. And then you're generating data overlays on a contextual environment. So actually, I, I like those combinations because it actually has a lot of value adds going through the system. No, that's a great description. I think that it's um, it's really fun because it starts feeling it's a little gamified and starts feeling like crowdsourcing. Oh, 35 percent of the people like this and, you know, 65 like this, you know, and so you get a sense of well, what are people in the neighborhood? You get a much better, much more diverse cross section of the community actually giving input. Um, and usually these budgets, you know, it's anywhere from 10 to 20% of the total budget is allocated for these community meetings. And of course, in the time of COVID, there were no community meetings. So I think it, it's a, and I would say the other thing that's happened is cloud anchors are really cool, Google cloud anchors. And so what we had trouble doing before, and you had to just use targets because that was the only thing that would really work well enough with AR Core and AR Kit. Mm -hmm. But now, and and Apple has its own version of anchors, cloud anchors. But now you can, as the person creating the tour, so we're licensing the tour maker and we're licensing the Pebble app that the consumer uses that gets spit out. And so with the um, Google uh, cloud anchors, you can really set, this is where it is, you know, at this exact spot. It's not, oh, within 20 feet of that. And for the kind of stuff that we're doing, it has to be that precise. Yeah. So GPS by itself ain't gonna cut it. So that's, the, that's another feature that I think, you know, is really helpful in doing this more precision type of work. Yeah, can you talk to me a little bit more about cloud anchors? Because I know, so GPS is you're using global positioning. And then I, I know that you can you can do, like, you can scan the environment with your phone. It kind of maps it out. And so um, exactly what are, how do you, how do you, because I'm not as familiar with cloud anchors. Well, the way that we're using it, so you're, and you can't do this remotely. You have to place a cloud anchor when you're actually in that location. So, so the, the designer is creating it on their desktop, the full thing, asking, you know, writing the questions, look, checking, okay, which 3D assets do we need placing where? So that's all happening at their desk in their office. Then they go out with the Pebble app and they're, they, they thought on their map and it looked like using GPS and a, a mapping service Oh, I thought I put it right at that corner. Well, when you once you get out there, it's like, oh no, it's actually 10 feet away. So then the designer has to now edit what they've done and say, no, I'm going to place an anchor. So you plop the anchor at this exact corner uh -huh. and then remembers it. So you can come back the next day and that anchor is still there. So before we would have had to actually put a target, you know, maybe, maybe uh, in AR now you can recognize a stop sign or, you know, some other 
uh, symbol. It doesn't have to be a QR code, obviously. And then we would you would have to tell the consumer, this is the way we did demos in the past, go to this street corner, go hold your phone up to the stop sign. Oh, we recognize where you are. Okay, now you can start the tour. Um, so cloud anchors have allowed us that, I mean, we don't have to do that only or we, that's a supplement. So it just has, and then Google, the other thing that's part of it, and Apple's doing this too, for select cities where if you scan the environment, you know, the, the, because of all the mapping that's been done previously, these devices know where you're standing, you know, because they recognize the buildings, they recognize the streets, the houses on the streets. I mean, it's sort of extraordinary. So as all of that mapping has gotten better, plus, and because it's already part of the database that we're trying to match to, and then plus the cloud anchors have become much more stable and they stick, you know, where you place them. So they're not, you don't have the problems with drift so much as we've had in the past. It's getting much better. And you couldn't have done, I really don't think you could have done what we're trying to do here two or three years ago. Yeah, I, I remember trying to do um, some um, setting markers down and I was doing it indoors in a uh, place and uh, GPS was not a thing. So we had to use like eye beacons. We needed some sort of thing that would get you in the proximity of a thing. And it wasn't, it still wasn't accurate. It's just like vicinity type of stuff. So it sounds right. I also imagine they'd be very useful uh, from um, a planner standpoint to see the flow, to see the, could you could see how people move through the environmentals and you can look at analyze mm -hmm. and see, okay, if these people are walking through the environment, you know, it's like one of those uh, typical situations where you're at like a college campus and there's a grassy knoll area and it says, don't walk on the grass. And then there's a clear path carved out because people are like, yeah, no, I'm going to go just carve line right through I'm that. Going, I'm cutting through the hypotenuse here. Yeah, on yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So let me ask you, what's your, with, with legacy games now, what's your, what's your holy grail for legacy games? Is it, is, do you, do you have a vision of what you want to do with the company? Is it a, build it and sell it? Is it something else? Or what do you, what do you ultimately want to do with it? Well, you know, I've, I sort of alluded to it before. Once I, I came back from hit point and I looked at legacy games and I saw, I looked at the landscape of our competitors mm -hmm. because there's certainly, I mean, big fish games was a huge competitor, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And then, I'm not sure exactly what the timing was when they were first purchased because they became a really big player in the casino mm -hmm. mobile space and they were purchased by a um, gaming company. And then um, since then they've really, you know, pivoted where the money is more, much the bigger market and the money, which is mobile gaming. And so between the casino style slots games and the, uh, and the mobile gaming free to play, they have really, in my opinion, left their roots behind, which are these PC downloadable casual game customers. And the funny thing is Dylan, that I have, Legacy has been, we have been profitable every year, but maybe two, I mean, the great recession almost killed me, but, um, you know, apart from a couple of years like that, 
we have been, it's been a profitable little business. Somebody looking at it from the outside would say, oh, that's just, uh, what, did, what did some funder tell me? Oh, that's a lifestyle business. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. I'm, I'm happy to take this money, <laughs> you know, but you know, that's the way they viewed it. I'm not sure if it's because of the way I presented it or presented myself. But uh, so we've been just chugging along, making money all these years, right? And some years we make more money than others. So I come back to legacy and looking with a little fresher eyes. And it's like, you know, our competitors are taking and, and there are three or four other major casual PC game downloadable competitors with their portals. And it's like, you know, they're taking their eye off the ball here. And I had this feeling and I, you know, I could totally be wrong about this, but I, we have made a business out of serving the laggards at Walmart. And I'd say laggards in the most affectionate way possible. These are people who do not want to give up their collections of CDs, mm -hmm. who don't want to download games, who don't, you know, are afraid to download games because of viruses who just like the way they do it and like our games. And we have made a business of serving that long tail at retail. Everybody else left. That's why, you know, we have 14 of the 18 slots at Walmart for casual games. Yeah. And I look at the digital space and I'm thinking, you know what? I think the same thing is going on here now, mm -hmm. you know, where, their people are going moving to greener pastures and the question's really going to be is there i mean and the answer that i don't have yet is is there a significant market left mm. you know for these casual gamers who want to download pc games or have they all moved on to free to play facebook or mobile mm. you know so that's that's what i'm exploring and we'll see if I'm, you know, right or not. That's interesting. That's great. And it's, and it's, it's, it's great because a lot of people, they want the, some people when they get into like entrepreneurship or whatever it might be, they, they need the latest, greatest, the most cutting edge, the greatest things like that. But they often say that the way that you can tell someone's a pioneer is that they're face down with arrows in their back. Right. And by looking at, by looking at like the late majority or the laggers or what, what you want to call them, you know, that that's a, that's a marketplace, but also knowing when it's a good time to shift into a space and shifting into the digital space and especially taking a um, a pool of people that you are already getting and then saying we're gonna we're gonna basically shift them into the digital area and then be able to grow that base out because of course like with 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 most businesses the power comes with the list if you have a if you have a large list of customers you can service them by making them more offers and things like that powerful thing uh, how will you know whether or not there will be an opportunity there for you, what what would be indicators for you? Do it, what what facts would have to be true? What would be some visual indicators so that you would know that that because again, this is you know it, you are it, you you have enough um, um, wherewithal to understand that okay, I'm going to make an assumption. My gut's telling me this, but you're also uh, disconnected enough from you saying I have to be right all the time that you're willing to back up and pivot, which is a very powerful place to be is to be on that that razor's edge between gut instinct and market data, right? And so what's the what's the market data? How do you find out that things and how will you how will you know if you're on track? Well, I've set some very high goals for the for the website. 
uh, and both in terms of revenue, units, uh, uh, new accounts. You know, I we have specific goals for what we need to reach this year. And, you know, frankly, if I don't reach those goals, I may look to sell the company or bring in new leadership or, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have all the answers, but I'm pursuing this path. This is my focus. And these are my goals for this year. I, um, there was something else that you said that I thought was interesting. It's, uh, oh, I did. So the biggest issue that we have, mm -hmm. if you think about this for 10 seconds, it's obvious, which is where do the customers come from? So we do have Walmart customers we're feeding into this, but we have to expand that market too. You know, we have to find more customers and where are we going to find them? So one of the first things I did when I came back was we are, we are launching three promotional programs, one with a, uh, a chip maker, one with a hardware maker, and one with a uh, um, uh, PC accessories company. And we're doing promotions with them with free games and all kinds of things in an effort to drive traffic to legacy games because you know, in the old days, a big fish would spend a million dollars a month easily on SEO driving traffic to the website. Yeah. Um, I don't have that luxury, you know, of spending like that. Yeah. So we have to find other more creative ways to build up our audience. But if we're successful, you know, then then I think we'll have, as you say, the end result might just be a really great list you know, customers to whom now we know that demographic and we can sell other things to them. You know, I'm not sure. And the other thing I, in my, you know, I'm enough of a gamer that I still have that hope. This new game that we're coming out with this mobile game, Pearls of Atlantis, it's a wonderful casual mobile game, match three with physics. Yeah. And maybe we'll be lucky and we'll be one of the 10% of companies on the, in the mobile store, not a zombie, and maybe we'll make some money on that. I'm hoping we make some money on that. And that will be free to play and be hugely challenging for us because mostly I have lived in the premium space mm. uh, with games, not free to play. So that's another, that's another you can always hope you know, to win the jackpot. Right. That's another hope I have for this year. <laughs> I love you have, you have a very healthy balance between hope and I don't want to say cynicism, but <laughs> a realistic, because most of the people that aren't, that aren't in the gaming space from the outside in, Oh, I'll make a game. It'll be huge. And it'll be great. And but you're like, well, we're, we're, you, you, your instruction was like, if we're lucky, we'll be the 10% that aren't zombies. It's a very different <laughs> statement than most people getting into the space. So I, I, I like the, you have a very good, healthy balance between, because you need both. If you're, if you're completely all sunshine and roses, when you get hit, you get knocked down and it's hard to get back up. If you're all cynicism, you don't give yourself the opportunity to really like take chances. And also like the fact that you're, you're spinning up multiple opportunities. You're finding these adjacent partners that, that would be a symbiotic relationship between you have gaming, they have some sort of hardware adjacent product, and then you're, you're, you're win-win together. They're, they're the value add for their customers. You ideally possibly get some more customers and you build that up from there. So 
I like the fact that you have multiple strategies that you're trying that you're like, I don't know what's going to hit, but I'm going to swing in all these different directions. Maybe one will, but, but either way, we're going to keep trying. And so I think that's, that's fantastic with, with all of that in mind. Um, what advice would you give to a young and up and comer? Um, maybe it is a, a, a young girl from the hood that's in anime, but also wants to get into gaming. Maybe it's someone else that, that like, what advice would you give to somebody that would be moving into um, the, the, the gaming space? Um, maybe some hard lessons that you've learned along the way, insights that you could give them that might help um, save them a, a couple uh, headaches or any other insights you'd have for the path. Yeah, I, uh, you know, now what I do is I tend to go to the um, schools. Of, there's so many different schools that are training people to be game developers, all different aspects of game development. Um, two of the young women I work with all the time, um, one I plucked from the game development um, program at UC Santa Clara, and the other one, who's an immigrant young woman, she was in an art school. And I love working with these young women. And both of them, I think they exemplify the, I'll do anything, <laughs> anything you ask me to do. You know, even if it feels like grunt work, I'll do it. And, and, uh, and we're going to work really hard and work very collaboratively. So when one of them is too busy, the other one just jumps in and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, I think for my part, I try to make all sorts of training opportunities available for them. So when I see a, you know, $850, but you learn everything you need to learn about Google Analytics, okay, fine, you, you go to that class. And here's another class on whatever, Facebook retargeting. You know, or I bring in, I, this is something I've done uh, fairly recently is bring in consultants who are, who have specific expertise. And I say to the consultants, you're here to train Amanda. That's, that's what I'm, I, I'm not going to expect you to manage these campaigns over a long period of time. You'll show us how to do it. You'll show us the ins and outs. You'll train her and then, you know, we'll be off. So really focused on training and education and learning new skills. I, I think you have to have that right mindset. Mm -hmm. You're going to make mistakes. I understand that. It's forgiven in advance. <laughs> you know, just try. Yeah. And, uh, and just making and just really um, making yourself available to learn everything you can. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Just gather as many skills, get the mindset along the way, level up the abilities. That's, that's beautiful. Um, so is there any last things you, you would like to say um, before you let people know how to get a hold of you um, and find out more about what you do? Well, you should come by and visit legacygames.com. You know, you come by today, it'll look different than it will in a week from now. You know, every week is something new. We're changing. And just trying out new things, right? And yeah. seeing, oh, did they click on this more? What about that slider? How, you know, it's uh, so that's that's fun, and it feels very experimental to me now. Yeah. Um, but I think people should come by and see what it is that we're selling. And true to our Walmart roots, it is the best value for your money. It's like buy five games for the price of one. 
is essentially what we're offering there. So you can't beat it. That's awesome. Um, so other than that, I think it's uh, just I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been it's been an amazing career, you know, really. I if you would have told me, you know, 35 years ago, this is what I would have spent my professional career doing. I would have thought you're nuts, but uh, it grabbed hold of me and I've been involved <laughs> for that period of time and I've really loved it and met some great people along the way. So. I can, I can feel you loving it. It's awesome to feel your passion, your excitement, the, you still, you still got that fire burning bright, even after 35 years. So this is great. Ariella, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate you being on the show. You are welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Have a beautiful day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the heroes of reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.